Hey folks, you know what? A small regret is slouching in the dentist chair thinking I should have brushed and flossed better. A big health regret is listening to your doctor and thinking I should have paid attention to nutrition when I was younger. I have that regret a lot. Better health today and when it matters most is why I take Field of Greens. Field of Greens is unlike any fruit and vegetable or green product. Field of Greens isn't watered down extracts. Field of Greens is an organic superfood. It's whole fruits and vegetables. Each fruit and vegetable was selected by doctors to support vital body functions like heart, liver, kidneys, metabolism, and of course, your immune system. And only Field of Greens is backed by a better health promise. At your next checkup, your doctor will notice your improved health or you're gonna get your money back. Don't look back and say, I should have paid attention to nutrition when I was younger. Field of Greens is a key to better health today, right now, and when it matters most. Let's get you started with 15% off and free shipping. All you got to do is visit fieldofgreens.com and use the promo code JUSTNEWS at checkout. That's promo code JUSTNEWS at fieldofgreens.com. Hello, America, and welcome to a new edition of John Solomon Reports, the podcast from Just the News today, where we've got two, not one, but two big interviews with members of Congress, both in the headlines this next the last 24 hours. First up, Congresswoman Kat Kamick. Yes, she joined forces with Jim Jordan of Ohio, the congressman from Ohio, to create a new caucus focused on censorship in college campuses. That's where cancer culture really began about 10, 12 years ago uh, with the Palestinian movement, with uh, conservatives coming on campus, and it has just evolved into all of other parts of pop culture and political culture in America. Well, Congressman Kamek, who's been on the show before, she has started a new caucus designed to confront this. She's going to be working with the Young Americans Foundation, YAF. I think we had former Governor Scott Walker of Wisconsin, now the head of YAF, on talking about what he's trying to do. Now we have a congresswoman taking up the cause in Congress, gathering data on examples of uh, censorship and cancel culture on college campuses, studying how federal funds are used or any federal funds used to cancel free speech, infringe rights of students, all of that, she's going to bring it all to us live. And then, yes, you've heard a lot about Matt Gates in the last few months. Probably a lot of it made you blush. But again, remember, those are all anonymous stories, just like those anonymous stories from Russia. Nothing has come out yet in the public domain uh, that would factually say, suggest anything's wrong. But we're going to do something with Matt Gates today. We're going to ask him all the hard questions. We're going to ask him each of the allegations, give him a chance to respond. And we have some emails, some voicemail messages, some text messages of reporters documenting and chronicling their conduct as they're pursuing the story about Matt Gates. You are not going to want to miss that. In fact, before we go to the commercial break, before we start with our interview with Congresswoman Kat Kamek, just listen to this voicemail message left by the Mother Jones reporter, Matt Phelan. Just listen for a second. Yeah, this is a reporter actually talking to a subject of a story. Hi, Luke. This is Matthew Phelan. I'm a reporter working on a Matt Gates story for Mother Jones. I was hoping to have probably, I would imagine, you would prefer a discreet conversation about some things related to uh, your former boss. Essentially, I'm following up on some stories about him being kind of secretly bisexual, occasionally hooking up with men, uh, potentially accidentally killing someone when he was an undergrad at FSU and conspiring with his father and some other people to move the body to Jacksonville. 
and uh, a handful of sex tapes that have been used to blackmail him dating back to his college years. Um, so if you know anything about any of that stuff and you want to talk about it with me, I would greatly appreciate it. Otherwise, um, thank you for listening to this voicemail. I hope it was enjoyable. And I saw you on uh, The Swamp, the HBO documentary, um, which is what reminded me to call you because I sent a LinkedIn message probably over a month ago. Thanks very much. Hope to hear from you. God bless. All right. Now, to be fair, before anything, you just heard that. We're going to ask Congressman Matt Gates about that. We reached out to this reporter, Matt Phelan at Mother Jones. He hung up on my reporter, Natalia Middlestat, when we asked for comment. And that's something a reporter who asks others to comment hangs up when his own emails, his own voicemails become a question, doesn't want to talk to other reporters. We're going to have more of that, but at least you know we reached out to him like we're supposed to. Fair comment as reporters. All right, we're going to go to a quick commercial break. When we come back first, Congresswoman Kat Kamek, you're not going to want to miss this interview, a brand new caucus in the House dedicated to fighting the infringement of free speech and rights on America's college campuses right after this commercial break. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. All right, folks, welcome back from the commercial break. And as promised, we've had her on the show many times and she's always making news. So we brought her back again. We're so excited to have <laughs> Congresswoman Kat Kamek from the great state of Florida to join us. Congresswoman, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you so much, John. Appreciate being back. Well, you made some waves this week. You and Jim Jordan announced the creation of the Campus Free Speech Caucus in the House. Tell us a little bit about what that is and why you started it. Yes, you know, we are so excited. Yesterday, we announced the creation of the Campus Free Speech Caucus, which is going to bring all of the representatives in Congress together in a partnership with Young America's Foundation, also known as YAF. And right. we are fighting back against the ultra liberal left agenda that is playing out in front of us on our college campuses, which anymore look more like indoctrination camps than they do institutions of higher learning. But we are very excited about this. This is a way to amplify the efforts of YAF uh, to date. And there is just no greater um, way I can think of to really tackle this issue than from the funding source. And so we're looking at the way that these universities are funded. They're taking taxpayer dollars, really putting uh, our conservative students at a disadvantage, discriminating against them, harassing them, uh, vilifying them, really. And it has created a, a an opportunity for us as conservatives to really just fight like hell. We are not going to take it anymore. I myself, as the youngest Republican woman in Congress, I'm not too far removed from when I was an undergraduate student right. uh, about a decade ago. And uh, I, I was 
dealing with professors that were, you know, pushing me in different directions and, and telling me awful things. And, you know, I can remember very vividly, I had a Latin American politics professor who she told me on the first day of class that all Republican white men were responsible for all world conflicts. Wow. She was terrible. She would let other people in class rewrite their papers she purposely was trying to fail me and, and ultimately was moving to try to get me kicked out of the college for my, my conservative beliefs. But you know, I, I push back then. I'm going to continue to push back now. And we have got to go to bat for these conservative students who really, in some cases, are living in fear on college campuses because if they speak out, they're going to be shout, uh, shouted down and maybe even lose scholarships and, and eventually even might have to leave the school. So Really exciting news. Super proud to partner with Jim Jordan and YAF on this project. It is amazing. And you're partnering up with my old uh, Marquette University alumni, uh, Governor Scott Walker, and I went to school about yes. the same time in Marquette. So we have very fond memories of that that time at a great university, back when cancer culture wasn't that popular on campuses. Yeah. Um, but it is now. There's no doubt about it. Um, you know, it's funny that you uh, with this announcement this week, because I've had three or four world leaders on this podcast over the last month, and each of them has made a comment to me that they can't believe that American universities are turning out students today who are intolerant, trained to hate America, trained to uh, reject any other point of view other than the one that the professor gave them. And when foreigners looking in at this great country, at the great academic institutions that we've created, see that from afar, you know that we've got some work cut out for us. What are some of the things that a, a caucus like this can do? It can track the money, right? It can propose legislation. What are some of the things you hope the caucus can accomplish with uh, now that it's up and running? So there's a couple of things that we want to focus on right out the gate, um, one of which being really amplifying the resources that are available to students around the country. Uh, YAF, the Young America's Foundation, they they have a 24-7 tip line, an anonymous hotline that students can call if they're being discriminated against, if they have a problem on campus, they can call and get that backup. And that includes legal resources and, and support in that way. So this is a way for us to let more students know that this tip line exists. But there's also ways, like you said, we will have an opportunity to compile and do some research about exactly how many incidents across the country have happened just in the past year on this issue, how much funding is going to student activities that gets funneled through all the different research and taxpayer dollars that gets put into these um, colleges. So exactly how is taxpayer dollars being used and funding the salaries of professors that are some of the worst offenders when it comes to this. And, you know, there's a, there's a, um, a scoring called FAIR. Uh -huh. And that grade allows us to really see who are the best and who are the worst institutions when it comes to allowing for free speech on, oh, I'm sorry, not fair, fire rating. And it is uh, allowing us to really see the grades that these institutions have and then targeting those that are the worst offenders and really holding those administrators and tenured professors accountable. You know, tenure is something we need to look at. Only in higher education do we have a protected class who can say and do anything they want without any repercussions. But what we're seeing now is the problems that we have, this critical race theory nonsense that's being shoved down Americans' throats. 
um, the, these, these riots, the defund police movement, all of these crazy social justice movements that are happening in the United States are really as a result of this ability for students to operate without consequence of promoting hate and violence on these college campuses. And I, as we dig into it, I've been seeing, you know, elementary and middle and high school has really been conditioning kids how to act. Now we're seeing universities building upon that and teaching these kids not how to think, but what to think. And that is so dangerous because then they are graduating under a mountain of debt um, and then they are going out and becoming community organizers and under the guise of or the banner of social justice advocates or warriors, and they are promoting violence and hate. It's one thing for free speech to exist, but it's quite another for hate speech. And that's so often what these conservatives on campus are being subjected to. So the caucus is going to be highlighting the institutions that have the worst track record of promoting free speech. We're going to be going after legislation and promoting and pushing and garnering support for legislation that protects free speech on campuses and really highlighting the notion that if the left wants true diversity, then they ought to consider diversity of thought as part of that because too often they just want to check a box. They are scared to death of differing ideologies or opinions, and that's really where we need to go after them. It, it is just remarkable. And, and everything you just said, I, I, I could see a million heads nodding as they're listening to this podcast, because those are the things I mean, they're infringing speech in the name of free speech, they're infringing thought in the name of free thought. It, exactly. It's just it, uh, the, the, the wheels upside down. It's, it's funny, I think, um, uh, some of the old liberal law professors, you know, Alan Dershowitz, people like that, who came out as true liberals who really valued free speech, even when it meant burning a flag or doing things like that, they're scratching their heads like, I don't recognize the university campuses that I, I went to because they're not practicing uh, what, what liberals are supposed to believe. It's become this control of thought, control of mind, uh, and um, what, a, what a moment to put a marker down and say you're going you're gonna to fight this and uh, we're going to do it scientifically, legislatively, data-wise, and what a great partner to have with, with Scott Walker and Young Americans. That's this great deal. Uh, we, we just celebrated Flag Day, and uh, we've had some really awkward moments in the last few weeks where uh, progressives and liberals have um, demeaned the flag, demeaned what it stood for. And I'm just curious, um, as we look out, what, what's going on? How could the American flag, such a great symbol of all that we accomplish and we, we stand for, how did it become for some a symbol of hatred. You know, I, it goes back to what we were just talking about. I think, you know, this, this notion that we have conflated the two issues of free speech and hate speech. I think people absolutely have the opportunity and the ability uh, that is their constitutional right to voice their opinion, to be critical, to petition their government, to assemble. Uh, you know, these are rights that are protected. Um, but we have graduated and really stepped into a place where our flag, which as you mentioned, you know, just celebrating yesterday, Flag Day, it's, it has now become a divisive symbol. And that is probably the most heartbreaking thing yeah, it um, sure is. That, that I could ever picture. I mean, when, as I sit here talking to you, having this conversation, there's a flag in my office that I'm looking at right now, that flag 
actually hangs in my home. It's the flag that is on the arm of my husband, who is a first responder at the fire station right That's now. That's right. It is, in my mind, a flag that represents freedom and grit and individual rights and the incredible ability for free men and women to achieve and innovate beyond our wildest dreams. But again, this cancel culture has decided that they want to take aim at anything that goes away from their narrative. And when you look at the left narrative of, oh, and there's my Apple watch talking to me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we live in great times. Our watches talk to us now, don't we? I love it. I love it. Incredible, you know, our flag has has flown over, in, you know, the most bloody, horrific battlefields, and has been carried by men and women with the most utmost reverence for its what it represents and the spirit of the flag. And I will tell you, and I'm not ashamed to admit it, I have walked through protests where people are burning the flag, and mm. I I cry, I yeah. I. I don't think that I can respect anyone who treats our flag with disrespect because they don't understand clearly the sacrifice uh, that has gone into protecting that flag so that it flies high and bright. And in all its glory, I just, I, I will never understand for the life of me, people who spit or trample or burn our flag. It is their right. And a lot of people have died for their right to do that as an expression of free speech. But for me, I will always revere the flag and I'll even get emotional. You can probably tell I'm getting emotional talking about it right now. It's hard not to, I, I you know, this morning I drove in and I came an, an alternate way in and I went right past the Iwo Jima Memorial and you think mm -hmm. the men that raised that flag today, what they felt, what they endured to get to that moment of triumph. And here we are today, people calling that a, a, a symbol of division. Uh, I don't know where they learned that from, but uh, someone's got to straighten their heads out. There's no doubt about it. Yes, exactly. It's exactly. I think I think the people who see the flag as a symbol of oppression clearly have never lived under it because yeah. if they had, they would never feel that way or or speak in those terms. And um, it, again, it goes back to this culture war that we are in right now, where you have a lot of very spoiled people who have never witness true poverty or oppression and they speak as though they have and promote agendas that are exceptionally hateful and divisive and dangerous for our country and that's why every day when you see a flag or you drive past a flag or it's on your clothing uh your uniform whatever it may be wherever you may see it I think it's not just a day that we need to honor it we need to recognize that every day is flag day in America uh, amen to that. That's well said for sure. Uh, one last question, because I know you got to run, but uh, yes. in infrastructure, obviously, the uh, there's the big, giant, expensive bill that the House Democrats have already wrestled through. Now there's this talk of a bipartisan bill. I want to ask you two questions. Do you think there's any potential for bipartisan agreement on infrastructure? And if not, can, G can the GOP stop the budget reconciliation process as a backdoor way of getting this approved? Second part of your question, yes, there are some mechanisms that we're going to throw as many monkey wrenches in the process as we can. Um, actually, this week we'll be voting on some procedural motions um, to make sure that we can stop this um, as much as we can. 
The other part of your question, the first part, you know, I think there is just a fundamental difference in opinion when it comes to what yeah. infrastructure is. It used to be that Republicans and Democrats could agree on what infrastructure meant. We mean, we, we mean roads, bridges, broadband. That's what infrastructure is to us. Uh, for the left, they want uh, climate core warrior divisions and uh, social justice programs and all this stuff that they are now considering infrastructure. So yeah. if you can't even agree on the, the term infrastructure, it doesn't bode very well for hope we'll have a bipartisan uh, bill. I, I, I do think that there's going to be something worked out. Uh, there's going to be a lot of give and take on this, uh, which is part of the process, of course. But I think we have some major hurdles to overcome, something even as basic as using uh, leftover COVID relief funds, which the Democrats are refusing to use. And we're thinking, well, hey, we've already spent our children and our grandchildren's future. <laughs> yeah. You know, why why can't we use leftover funds? Yeah, reprogram it. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, you know, so those are the battles that we're having, the conversations and, and fights that we're having on Capitol Hill here in the next few weeks and months and fingers crossed that calmer and cooler heads will prevail and we'll get a deal that is actually real true infrastructure. Yeah, that's the real key. I just saw something. In fact, we had it on Justin News last week that some Democrats wanted to declare newspapers, local newspapers, infrastructure and, and, and give them uh, billions of aid. If I read it correctly from uh, one of the senators, Democratic senators, um, can there be any agreement when those sort of things come in? You know, when I grew up in a generation where you wouldn't want to take taxpayer money, it's a conflict of interest to take taxpayer money for your, yeah. your news organization. Um, the <laughs> list just gets getting longer. Media, like uh, yeah. taking government and taxpayer money to fund your local newspaper. I think they do that in China, right? Exactly. Yes, <laughs> yes. They have. A, they do. They do indeed, and in Russia, some places too. It's crazy. Well. Yeah. You're there to give us some sanity. So that's awesome. And we're greatly appreciative of that. And also, we're going to be watching this Campus Free Speech Caucus. It sounds like a very exciting development, something we ought to all be tracking. Free speech Free speech works for everyone, and we got to make sure that it continues to do so. So very, Absolutely. very grateful. Absolutely. We're so excited for it. Like I said, it's not a Republican or a Democrat issue. It's an American issue. We want to make sure our kids have that opportunity to express themselves on campus without fear of retribution. So we're excited about this work. Thank you so much for covering it. Uh, su such an important issue. And we're, we're so grateful every time you come on this show. It really means a lot to us, Congresswoman. Thank you for all you do and have a good rest of the week. We'll have you back on soon, I'm sure. Thank you so much, John. You have a great rest of the week. We sure will. Thank you so much. All right, folks, we're going to go to a quick commercial break. All right, folks, welcome back from the commercial break. And as promised, a very special guest. He's been on this show many times. And today we're going to have a little fun about my profession. Now, I'll tell you what, uh, I'm, I'm not a big fan of a lot of the reporters in the profession today. But today, Congressman Matt Gates brings with him some remarkable emails and voicemails. You heard one of them earlier in the podcast of what it's like when you're in one of these firestorms of controversy, how, uh, how reporters behave I'm even ashamed of after reading some of these messages about how the reporters behaved. Congressman, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks for having me, John. I appreciate it. I, I wish it were under better circumstances yep. than having to dissect some of the most vile conduct, you know, that, that I've witnessed. But uh, glad to have the chance to chat about it with you. I tell you, I, um, when I was going through the controversies with Ukraine and, and the Biden stuff and the Democrats were attacking me, I saw some behavior by some of my reporting colleagues that just shocked me. I haven't talked about it a lot, but 
I, I can imagine what it's like and what you've sent us and what we've been able to review is is pretty remarkable. So let's walk people through this. You know, you've got this scandal going on and there's an investigation and, you know, you've been insisting on your innocence, but reporters are going everywhere. And, and our listeners have already heard that voicemail, but just talk about, you know, you, you, the voicemail shows up and you've got a former staffer who's being asked all these crazy things that you buried a body. You might've killed someone. There's a cover up, you're bisexual, all these things. Now, you know yourself pretty well. Uh, what, what do you say when you hear that voicemail? Uh, it is a bizarre experience to have these very strange accusations that bear no relationship to reality, John. You know, two and a half months ago, I was accused of things that are horrendous, yeah. all anonymously, of right, course. Right. And, for, and for the last two and a half months, I've been accused of being a sex trafficker, of mistreating women, having a relationship with someone who was 17 years old. Let me state for the listeners, unequivocally, all of that is false. Yep. But you notice that it hasn't stopped the, the constant barrage of anonymous people saying bad things about me. Now, one would reasonably wonder, why would people uh, you know, anonymously say these things about Gates if none of it is true? And what I've given to you answers that question. It mm. shows why. Because time and time again, what a reporter will do is contact someone that maybe I've had a relationship with, maybe I haven't had any relationship with, maybe I've only been in the same room with one time. Right. But they'll say to a person, you know, look, we are going to write your name into a story that will have sex trafficking and Matt Gates and yep. the headline unless you provide us some bad information, some embarrassing conduct about Gates. And if you do that, well, then your name will be protected. Your reputation will be protected. And so uh, I have now seen in writing that actually play out where a reporter from the Daily Beast you know, wrote to someone and said, you know, I know you were at a political function with Matt Gates in right. Florida. And if you, you know, have something to say about him, well, then we'll take your name out. Otherwise, we'll smear you. And, and there are circumstances, John, where people have been smeared by name. And I can only imagine because they didn't cooperate with the reporter, right? Yeah. Yeah. They didn't play the game, you know. And so, you know, I have never killed anyone. Um, you know, that that is a horrible accusation. I'm not a bisexual. Not that there's anything wrong with being a bisexual. Not the way I, not what yeah. floats my boat. Okay. Right. I'm into the ladies, yeah. but you know, and, and the rest of this, uh, I think is largely intended to try to deplatform me as a rhetorical force in our movement. You know, John, you and I spent most of our time together in the Fox news green room. We, that's right. And time and again, I, I remember vividly these scenes where, you know, you would uncover text messages or you would uncover documents yeah. and we would all kind of look at each other and say, is this really happening? You know, is it really true that these people are accusing Donald Trump of being involved in, with prostitutes urinating on him? Right. And then and then you like later find out there are these people who operate in the gray space of intelligence yep. where they they attempt to embroider lies onto leaks and then present them as evidence to justify the pursuit of someone. We saw that with President Trump. And, you know, I fear that same model is one that the media will, will try to use against others. And uh, I'm here to confront those things head on and to answer questions directly. And, you know, certainly I lived the life of a single man for, gosh, 38 years before right. I met my fiance. 
Uh, and, you know, that was a different life than I lead today. Without question, I'm a better person today, you know, in a relationship with someone that I'm going to marry than I was as a single man. But that does not justify reporters finding people to threaten to try to extract false anonymous charges against me. It, it is remarkable. I'm going to read, we're going to post all these emails so people can see the authentic emails as they were sent. But this is one from a reporter at Mother Jones. And I've written a lot about Mother Jones because they showed up uh, in a weird way uh, in the Russia case because David Korn, one of the uh, Mother Jones reporters, had um, uh, been involved in giving information to the FBI against Trump, uh, one of the Steele dossiers, as I recall. But this is a, a reporter by the name of Matt Phelan. It's an email, and he's reached out to a young woman in your district, right, uh, and a former staffer about some allegations. And the woman, after having the conversation, must have been concerned that her message didn't get heard because she writes back, I think, the other day, uh, I've never been harassed by Matt Gase. Any reaction with him or his office has always been respectful and kind. You stated someone told you I received some kind of death threat, and that's just a false accusation. So she writes back to the reporter to make clear he understands her position on the story. And the reporter writes back, and I, I just I, I, I can't imagine ever in my life writing an email like this as a journalist. To be frank, I don't want to tip my hand too much here, but I think you're going to want to revise this response or maybe just spend some time jogging your memory a little bit more. But there's a time to get that in order. I look forward to circling back with you closer to publication time. Oh, my God. He's, instead of saying, hey, I have some information that conflicts this, which would be a normal thing, it's sort of an implied threat, which is if you don't get right with this, I'm going to doozy up in the article. When, when you see that, I guess the woman turned this email over to you. Well, what's your reaction to that? I feel bad for anyone that has to go through of this type of strain in interacting with the press. You know, I, I want to believe that the press is an institution that is necessary and honest in our country. Unfortunately, I've had experiences that have, sh that have shown the dishonesty of the press, but I hate when that's visited on regular people. This particular person was not a staffer of mine. She was a staffer, I believe, in the state legislature after I had already departed the state legislature. But I think it's, it's someone who might have, you know, I might have met a time or two at a Florida political event, but certainly not someone I had any sort of close association with. And here she is telling a reporter, what you've heard about me is wrong. My relationship, you know, any interaction I've had with Congressman Gates or his team has been appropriate. And then literally the reporter comes back and essentially says, if you don't change your story, um, you will regret having not changed it. And um, that is a reporter who has had bylines at the Mother Jones, who's had bylines at the Daily Beast. And uh, I really wanted to use this podcast as a platform to assure people that the volume of anonymous sources does not constitute evidence of any type of wrongdoing or culpability. I mean, hell, John, I've got fewer accusers than Joe Biden. I mean, there's, there's an actual <laughs> true. person yeah. on record with a name. Her name is Tara Reid. Right. She has a graphic description of Joe Biden pinning her against the wall, yeah. sticking his hands in her underwear and digitally penetrating her. Right. There's no there's no woman out there with any type of accusation that I've engaged in misconduct toward them. Now, I know people make up crazy stories and they're crazy allegations all the time. But here I am facing two and a half months of endless anonymous allegations and not a single woman has stood up to say like let me tell you the story of matt gates having mistreated me and that's because i treat women with respect i was raised by a mother in a wheelchair since i was three years old i i 
understand the importance and uh, the, just the gratitude that I show women. My entire congressional office is essentially run by women. And so I, I take these accusations very seriously, but I also have to frame them appropriately as you know, anonymous charges coaxed out by media entities that essentially threaten people. And by the way, it's not just, I mean, Matt Phelan is the only reporter that like put it in a voicemail. Right. But, you know, uh, Jose at the Daily Beast put it in writing to another person. I believe we provided you. Yeah, we're going to post and, all those. And there were people, at, there were reporters at CNN, you know, who also, according to people I've spoken with, uh, have threatened to dox both men and women mm. just for their presence around me unless they were willing to say to say something that, that would be untoward and beneficial to a media narrative. It is remarkable. I want to go on with this reporter, Phelan, because this is one of the things that I've been really harping on the last couple of years, using the David Korn example. It just is such a rarity for a reporter to get a source document and say, you know, unless you've been subpoenaed or requested to give it, you volunteer it to the FBI to try to further the investigation of the person you're writing about. And Phelan seems to do this here. I just want to read this second. This is when he's texting with a former staffle, staffer. And uh, I just hope you are more cooperative then uh, with the FDLE, meaning the Florida uh, uh, Department of, uh, what is that? That's the um, law enforcement. Law enforcement, yeah. yep. And the um, FBI, when I turn, meaning I, the reporter, turn over everything I have to them after publishing this article. I've never heard a reporter in my life, one, threaten it or contemplate it. It's different if you're subpoenaed, right? You got to do it. You might have an obligation. You might even fight it then. But here they're talking about being an active participant. They're going to write an article and then dish the stuff to the law enforcement to try to further the investigation. There's just no bright line. There's no independence there. It's like they're part of the deep state or the investigative state. When you when you saw that, what, what were you thinking? Uh, I was reminded of the circumstances during the Russia hoax where law enforcement took action based on media reports that the FBI themselves created and leaked. You see, when you're operating in a world of lies, you have to create an entire ecosystem for that lie to live because right. sunlight and the truth often functions as an antiseptic to lies. And so the FBI had this game where when they wanted additional authorities, they would leak stuff. They would involve these types of characters like Michael Isakoff or David Korn, and then they would use that to take actions that would otherwise not be lawful for federal law enforcement. And, and I, I also think, John, about something that happened days after the New York Times uh, initially published allegations against me. One of my former staffers is in a wheelchair. He was my director of military affairs. And he left my employee to go have his dream job at a nonprofit. He's a great patriotic American. The FBI shows up at his house, like, you know, at 730 at night and says, well, we hear you left the employee of Congressman Gates because he was cavorting with prostitutes. Yeah. For goodness sakes. I remember the story. Like, yeah. You know, and, and, and my staffer then, you know, uh, asked, says, well, that's not true. I left for this other reason. Congressman Gates never had prostitutes around. That, that was not anything involved in our office or his life. And uh, then he asked those FBI agents, where did you get this idea? Who would tell you such a thing? Why are you here? And the answer from the FBI agents was, we got this tip from a media reporter. Wow. So even in my case, we're living in a world in which the FBI is out running down rumors from the media. And that would be one thing, I guess, if a reporter uncovered some evidence of wrongdoing. But now we see what the reporters are doing. The reporters are literally threatening people to say stuff that isn't true so that people don't get brought into 
a web of controversy that is uncomfortable. And that web of controversy, even when it's a false controversy, can be incredibly expensive. People get lawyers and all of a sudden you're 10, 20, 50, 100,000 in the hole just to protect yourself in an investigation where you, you don't know what's going on. That threat is real. And, and this, this idea that reporters are supposed to be the state assisters, the investigative assisters of the state is just such an odd anomaly. And, you know, it's one thing when you send some, you know, many times I'll send something and say, can you authenticate this law enforcement official or can you authenticate this congressional investigator? It's another thing when you see what's in this email where they're turning it over simply to jam up the target of their story. That's the only reason they're turning over the information. I'm really, really surprised by it. Um, there's been a lot said about you in we're not afraid to ask hard questions on here. And you've never been afraid to har ask hard or give uh, answers to hard questions. Um, let's just go through what's been alleged by you, the big stuff, and just, you know, get your point blank on the record what it is. First thing is you've been involved in sex trafficking of young women. Have you ever been involved in sex trafficking with young women? Absolutely not. Unequivocally false. Uh, there's been an allegation that you murdered someone at Florida State University in that crazy voice message. You ever murder anyone? I have never murdered anyone. So we won't even ask you about moving the body, because if you haven't murdered, you don't move the body. So that's a good I, thing. I have, I have also <laughs> not moved any bodies that anyone else has murdered. That's a good thing. That's excellent. Uh, let's go to another one that's been out there, because it's a serious um, allegation. You had sex with a minor. Any, any time in your life that you've ever had sex with a minor? As an adult? Not since I've been, yeah, not yeah. as an adult person. I mean, the last time I had sex with a 17-year-old, I was 17. Yep. And, and those allegations are false. And then there have been allegations that you've been misusing money from your campaign, your your uh, congressional office from some other guy who had Bitcoin or other thing. A any any inkling that you've ever misused money or misappropriated money of the taxpayers, your campaign, some other individual? Uh, I have not misused public funds. I have not misused campaign funds. Uh, my belief is that the reason that those allegations are being leaked is to create the predicate to try to uh, get deeper into the important work of my congressional office and the important work that I'm doing as uh, a political figure in this country who has a distinct view and a distinct vision as to how to take this country. I think that that, that is those allegations, while false, are specifically geared uh, to try to disrupt uh, the efforts that are important to the American people. And so you're worried a little bit about separation of powers here, right? You've got the distinct power of the legislative branch, and this is executive and state branch coming in, perhaps, and trying to in insinuate themselves into your daily work. Are there any claims of uh, job privilege or, or separation of powers that you might have to make at some point? I try to analyze those things closely, but you know, we cannot live in a world where the Department of Justice and the FBI are simply able to uh, extinguish their critics because they don't like rigorous oversight. Yeah. Now, I've been, I think, the only Republican who's been highly critical of the uh, Department of Justice taking any action against Adam Schiff yeah. and Eric Swalwell. I mean, you you know, I don't like Adam Schiff. Right. I don't like. Eric You've been clear Swalwell. about that, but you came to their defense yeah. because of the privilege, because I, of the point, right? Yeah. The I did well, and don't you think it's weird, John, that two members of Congress had their information acquired through this third party, and now you've got Barr and Rosenstein throwing their hands in the air saying, oh no, well, we, gosh, we didn't know that there were, there's gambling going on. Here. I mean, <laughs> yeah. In the like, casino. Oh, you're kidding me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. And, and I mean, that should be concerning. Like yeah. some, some 
deep state or you know buried in the bowels of the Department of Justice sh- shouldn't even be able to do that to Adam Schiff. In yeah. my opinion. And listen, there, there were supposed to be rules for this. I mean, these are supposed to, when you, when you, there are, are things called special privileged jobs or, uh, uh, and, and there's a requirement that the FBI go all the way up the chain to get these things. So there's some, there's some explaining to do that I don't think we have the answers to. And you're right. I saw you immediately come to their defense. You haven't had any sense that that's happened to you, right? You know, I mean, since that your phone records have been taken from your congressional office, do you? Uh, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, I, I, you know, and again, I, I am even more curious about the methods of the department because they didn't directly serve subpoena on Schiff yeah. or Swalwell. Right. They used these sort of third-party yes. mechanisms to Call acquire the back door. information. Yeah. Right. And so, I mean, I think that I don't think that anyone can reasonably answer that question. Yeah, no, I think that that's uh, right. Now, one last question on the hard questions front, because I think it's important that we do. One of your associates, a guy named Greenberg, has struck a cooperation deal with the prosecutors. Are you worried that he has any evidence that would implicate you in wrongdoing? What, anything that makes you think that what he's told them is is implicating of you in wrongdoing? I do not. I will say John, that, you know, uh, there are probably many Americans who regret uh, a friendship or two that they've made in their life. This is certainly one that I regret. I think it is entirely fair for my constituents to pass judgment on me based on those I've associated with. And this was an association that I should not have made. And I think that it would be fair and just and proper for my constituents to evaluate that mistake I made in association alongside the other work that I've done to fight for them. And, uh, you know, we all make mistakes in that regard, but I, I'm not concerned that uh, Mr. Greenberg uh, is in possession of some smoky gun piece of evidence because I did not do the things that they are accusing me of doing. Yeah. And I think we're going to learn a lot more about Mr. Greenberg uh, and, and what he's been saying and what he's been doing uh, if, in fact, uh, the government continues to pursue me. Yeah, and it's important. I don't think Greenberg's ever said anything publicly that would suggest he knows anything wrong by you. It's just the insinuation by the media right now. We don't, um, uh, in the work I've done, I haven't seen anything where he has uh, ha- been quoted as saying something that is evidentiary against you. It's going to be very interesting to see if there is you know, a real case here or if they've built up another one of those uh, mirages that we've seen so many times used against Republicans What's the big lesson? When you look back here, obviously you have some regret in some of the associations. You just apologize to your constituents or ask them to, you know, say you understand why they're evaluating that. What's the biggest lesson you've learned through this process so far? Obviously, the media is an eye opener. Even I'm, after being in the profession 30 years, shocked by some of these things. But as you step back, if you, it's hard to have a moment of reflection when you're under constant, um, you know, attention. But have you done some thinking? And what, what are some of the big things that you've learned from this lesson that you're going to put to, to life's uh, use going forward? Certainly, you know, what I just shared with you, that, you know, I need to be more judicious in those I associate with. And uh, I get to live this great life with my wonderful fiance now. And uh, I think that's a better life. And, and that's my kind of Matt Gates take away as a human being, as a lawmaker, it, it, it really strikes me the extent to which there is now no, no line between advocacy and journalism. You know, yeah. we wanted to believe that there was sort of, you know, opinion journalism, and then there was fact-based journalism. And then there are people who rightly go exercise their First Amendment rights to participate in direct advocacy. But now what you have are people who wear the imprimatur of mainstream media entities, you know, like CNN, like the New York Times, like the Washington Post. 
And they're not really there to collect the facts and, and display them to the people. They're there to achieve a particular outcome. And one thing I have noticed throughout modern politics is that too many Republicans lose because they give up. Too many Republicans allow the media to frame them and, and they don't get up and fight back. And one thing that I learned from President Trump, one thing I admire in my governor, Ron DeSantis, one thing that I am going to embody every day I am in public life is that you don't stop fighting for your people, for the country, and for the causes that can uh, allow people to be more prosperous and, uh, and exercise their freedom to great, uh, to great effect and to great benefit. So that's going to be, you know, my takeaway is that you keep fighting and hey, anything that doesn't kill you makes you stronger. And I'm still here. That's uh, that's one of the great truisms of life. The the, the incredible fire makes temper of metal, and and uh, I know you're 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 trying to build towards that uh, even in this very difficult experience. The um as we I I, I know you got to run back to Congress, but I just want to ask you know as you look out now, one of the things that I think you know, I've heard this from many former intelligence officials that have examined the last five six years is that some of the tactics that our intel community, our military community, created uh, for psychological psychological operations warfare against our enemies appear to have been internalized in America now and used against our political enemies. The ability to create false reality. You were one of the most eloquent people, along, right alongside of Devin Nunez and Mark Meadows and Jim Jordan, missing a couple, uh, 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 Lindsey Graham and, and uh, 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 Chuck Grassi, who were able to tear down the false reality of the Russia collusion case. But it seems like these attempts to create false narratives and make them stick, make them look like truth, make people believe them is growing in leaps and bounds. I, I take from your comments today, you think that's the case with you, that they've created a false reality. How concerned you are that this is going to become the new warfare of politics? The greatest threat to American democracy today is the utilization of national security authorities against our people for politics. Mm. Uh, we see it time and again. We see it specifically within the military now. They're saying anyone who might have liked the wrong meme or forwarded the wrong email might be a white supremacist or some sort of national security threat. Uh, and, you know, we also see it throughout the country where uh, these these emperor of national security are being misapplied and misused. And, and really, that's why I think I have a really important role in the fight. I serve on the Armed Services Committee and I serve on the Judiciary Committee. And so I am focused on the intersection of national security and liberty. And if we do not fight for this liberty now, I fear that the Democrat left-wing takeover that has already occurred at the Department of State, the Department of Labor, the EPA, you know, DOJ, so many other places, uh, is now spilling over to the Department of Defense mm. and broader elements of the intelligence community. And uh, that should concern us all. And it's why important, it's so important we stay in the fight. Uh, that it is. It's so important that these tactics don't become the norm or that they become tolerated. Uh, we've seen too many examples of false realities created over the last five years that ruin lives, ruin budgets, wrecked um, uh, people's livelihoods, and uh, only to be proven false later. Congressman, we, we thank you for the time today, first for sharing these messages and being able to direct uh, you know di directly confront them, and also just in answering the hard questions. A lot of times people are under investigation, they don't want to take the hard questions, they duck. That's not you. I've known you, uh, and you, even if these are tough questions, you take them head on, and I'm grateful that you answered them for our, for our audience today. 
Oh, my pleasure, John. Love the podcast and look forward to being back on soon. We will have you on soon. I'm sure there's going to be some important things you're working on every day. And so count us in. All right. Thanks, man. All right, sir. Have a good day. All right, folks, we're going to go to commercial break. When we come back, we're wrapping things up for the day. Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. All right, folks, if you're not tired, I'm tired. What a, what a day. Two big interviews, two really detailed conversations to Congress people who have been open about what they're doing, uh, transparency, directness. Uh, Matt Gates answered some tough questions. He also brought to light a lot of these text messages. We're going to put those up on Just the News tonight. You don't want to miss that. We're so grateful you listened. We're so grateful that we were able to get two members of Congress on one show talking about really important stuff. We're not talking about silly pop culture things. We're getting into the very heart of the issues that are facing America. And in the case of Matt Gates, a very personal investigation of him, he spoke directly, unplugged, on the record, answered all the questions. Now you know his perspective. We'll see what the FBI and the Florida the Department of Law Enforcement does, but um, at least we gave him an opportunity to respond. We also gave him an opportunity to Matt Phelan, the reporter at Mother Jones. Unfortunately, he hung up on us. That's too bad. We would have loved to have had his side of the story. Let me say this, uh, Bob. He's welcome to come on anytime he wants. We want to hear his side of the story, too. There are always two sides to every story. That's why we do reporting. Unfortunately, Matt Phelan hung up on us today. All right, folks, that wraps up the podcast for today. We'll be back tomorrow. I have a funny feeling we're going to be talking about election audits and election integrity over the next few days. Keep posted at justthenews.com on all the breaking news. Until then, God bless you and God bless this amazing country, the United States of America. He's done it for so long, I know he'll continue to do it. All right, folks, have a great night. Be back tomorrow.